Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. Hope you guys are doing well. We're on episode 160, and we're going to be continuing the series on the Doctrines of Grace. Today, we're talking about irresistible grace. First, we're going to clear up some confusion about that, and then we're going to clarify what it means. So the Doctrines of Grace, I hope this has been helpful for you guys and really encouraging. It's invigorating for me thinking about dwelling on and worshiping God for His grace. And so I hope it's been good for all of you that have been listening in as well. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll talk about irresistible grace. Father, we just thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. You are so faithful. And as I just scan my life and think about things that are going on in my life and the gifts that you've given, it's just overwhelming. And I know for everybody listening in, if they are just able to stop for a moment and think about all that you've done for them, all that you've given them, there's just so much thankfulness, God. We're just so, God, we love you. And so we ask for direction and wisdom, and I trust that you're going to give it. Help us as we talk about your grace. Thank you for your grace. It's always there for us. We love you, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, hope you're doing very well. Hey, listen, I usually ask for this on the back end, but I figured I'd go ahead and ask on the front end. Almost every podcast I listen to says it's really helpful to go and leave a rating and review, and somehow or another that gets the podcast in front of more people. And so I'm just going to give you a, a simple request, which is to go you know, leave a rating or review if you haven't yet on the show. I want to thank you guys so much for continuing to come back. And also want to ask you to consider partnering with us. There are some recurring costs that go with running a podcast and keeping the website going and keeping the podcast hosted on that website and all the room and data and all, I don't I don't even know how it all works but there is some cost to this if you want to donate to the podcast to the ministry would love for you to do that you can give to the Shepherd's Crook right at the website you can go and donate or you can send me a check to 325 Ashwood Lane and just thank you thank you so much for coming back it's almost three years now that we've been doing this and it's been a lot of fun for me and I hope it's been good for you so all right without any further ado irresistible grace what do we mean by irresistible grace because in one sense, we all know that everyone resists the grace of God. That's one of the confusing things about when you start talking about the doctrines of grace and you get to this point, people get confused and kind of scratch their heads because we all know point one, which is total depravity, that we are sinful, that mankind is sinful from the womb. And we just we come out of the womb knowing how to do bad things. We have to be taught how to do good things. We know the nature of the rebellious heart, <clears throat> and there's nothing good inside our deceitful hearts. So how in the world can we talk about something called irresistible grace when we know that mankind is bent from the inside out towards sinning and rebelling against God? So how, how does this work? Well, we have to understand first what we are actually talking about, okay? When we're talking about irresistible grace, we're talking about the same group of people in which Christ died for in a saving way. You know, last week we talked about the atonement. We talked about how there's multiple intentions in the atonement. You know, how Christ died for the church, the bride, the elect in a saving way. He died for the world. He died for the cosmos, all in different ways. And the effects and the ramifications of the cross just are infinite. I mean, when it comes to the Satan being defeated and bound, that's tied up into Jesus disarming rulers and authorities and coming to defeat or do away with the works of the devil. There are so many things connected to the cross. But when we're talking about this point of the doctrines of grace, what we're talking about is that every single person Christ died for in a saving way, their salvation is procured. The ramifications of that is that someday in the future, because Jesus actually died for them, because Jesus' blood came out with names on it, all the names 
within the blood of Christ will eventually come to him because that's the ripple effect. The power of the cross is from the cross to you, again, not from you to the cross. So when we think about irresistible grace, the whole point is every single person that Christ died for to save, those names, those people, they will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God will make them willing to believe. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1 lest we think this is some kind of weird coercion or something like that from God, God does something inside of us, connecting the dots where all that he died for eventually want to come to Jesus. Peter says it like this in verse starting in verse 3 in chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has caused us to be born again. When we think about irresistible grace, we're not talking about a group of people through kicking and screaming never actually want to love and follow Jesus. Irresistible grace is the idea that we will be born again. We will be made new. The Holy Spirit of God will indwell our hearts and we will be changed from the inside out because of what Jesus has done for us. The cross is that powerful that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for me. And because of that, one day at 606 Carbon Street, There was a five-year-old boy who walked in and talked to his mom and dad, and what the Holy Spirit did in me was caused me to become born again. And the dots were connected from the cross to me, the bride of Christ, the one for whom Christ died. And this is how it works for every single person that has been chosen by God before the foundation of the world, that Christ has died for in a saving way. The Holy Spirit comes, and we have this Trinitarian unity that we see where the Holy Spirit comes and connects the dots and brings that person to Jesus. Now, we see this in John chapter 6. We see it in John chapter 17. And you get to these passages where Jesus starts talking about those that were given to him. Okay, those that were given to him. Who is that? Well, that's the elect, those who have been chosen before the foundation of the world. The Father has given the Son a bride. And we see this in verse 37. Listen to this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. There's the doctrine. These things are not doctrines that are just kind of built in our mind philosophically, and then we run to the scriptures to try to find them. The doctrines of grace come up from the pages of the scriptures. And as we're reading through our Bible reading plan, we're reading through this, and we're trying to understand how can a man be right with God. And we see these passages that clarify it for us, and then from these passages jump up these doctrines. This is how biblical doctrine works. Biblical doctrine doesn't start with the human brain and then run to the scriptures. It starts with the scriptures and it comes up and rises up from the pages. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, the word is rightly divided and you connect a coherent teaching from the Bible that the Bible teaches, not that we're saying that the Bible teaches. And this is what the passage says. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And this, I love this verse because This is one of those verses we talked about last week that puts together two ideas that people want to jump on, and they want to jump on the first part of the verse or the second part of the verse and not love the whole verse. Because here's the deal. The fact that God predestines or elects, the fact that Jesus comes to die for the bride, the fact that all that the Father gave the Son will come to him, all of these things are absolute facts. We have this mysterious thing that still works because we see in John All throughout the book of John, we see these passages like this, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. In fact, in John, you see whoever, everyone, all through the whole book of John. And you see verses like this that put both of these ideas, these theological ideas, in one verse. All the Father has given me will come to me. That's all the elect will come. That's irresistible grace. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is an open call. And whoever comes to Jesus will not be cast out. 
How does all that work? Again, last week I said it and I'll say it again. You just shrug your shoulders and you say, you know, I don't really know, but I know both of these things are true. And see, isn't that fun? Theology is so fun when you're able to embrace an objective paradox, not a contradiction, but an objective thing where you're able to say yes and yes, because that's what the Bible invites us into. It's so, I tell you what, you know, when people talk about those who want to suppress the mystery in the scriptures, what I often find, it's those who rail against things like the doctrines of grace. It's those who are anti-Calvinistic, man. I mean, they're just, that are always calling for balance. That are the ones that are really not balanced at all. And then I found, you know, as I started reading over the years and started reading in history and started reading Puritans and even modern Calvinistic writers and started reading them, they don't shy away from passages like whosoever, like I thought they did. They love passages like that and actually love all the Bible. And that's why I love so much about those who are just true to the scriptures is they are able to say yes and yes to so many things in the Bible. Okay, what about John 17? Isn't the high priestly prayer amazing? It's so awesome to read John 17. It never gets old. And as you hear Jesus praying for us, you're just overwhelmed with thankfulness for who he is. And I mean, he's just such a great king. He's such a great savior. But he says this, when Jesus spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him all authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Okay, you see that? God the Father has given God the Son authority to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. There is a group, there is a bride, there is an elect that's given to the Son. And this is eternal life, verse 3, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. This is astonishing. This is astonishing. This is clear. God the Father gave a bride to the Son, and Jesus came to save them and give eternal life to them. Now, that same pattern continues after Christ, where he prays for those that would believe afterwards. The Holy Spirit comes, and we see this Trinitarian unity. In fact, this is called by theologians the eternal covenant that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit made before the foundation of the world to get a group of people for the Son to glorify God the Father forever. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are enwrapped in this beautiful salvation story where sinners are actually saved by God. Salvation truly does belong to the Lord, as Jonah says in the Old Testament. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So when we read this and we think about irresistible grace, don't first think about that about the sinfulness of mankind, because that is absolutely true. And we all resist God's grace and push against God and war against his ways. But there comes a time that the saving power of the cross comes to us and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. And what the scripture teaches us is that that happens because God chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose people to give to the Son. The Son came to die for those people in a saving way. The Holy Spirit comes to apply that work of redemption to those for whom Christ died. You see this chain reaction. Even though mankind rebelled, God decided to save. And that's why we're here. If you're a Christian, that's why you're a Christian, because God has been gracious to you. Guys, I hope this has been helpful, and I hope this is a tool. You know, if you've had conversations with people about the doctrines of grace and it's not gone well, if you have people in your congregation that it's been a struggle to kind of help them think through these things, maybe this is a helpful tool or resource for you. You know, feel free to send this to them, share this with them, have this conversation, or really just be equipped to have some of these conversations, because these are critically important. You know, we talk about peripheral doctrines. When we talk about the doctrine of salvation, here's the thing. This is not a spectrum of an idea where you can have your understanding of of how salvation works and I can have my understanding of salvation works. This is what the Bible teaches. 
This is not a spectrum. I don't have a reformed perspective on salvation. I have a biblical perspective. And that's what I want to challenge you guys with. That might sound too narrow, but we want to always be as narrow as the scriptures are. We don't want to open it up and say, well, we can just agree to disagree. The scriptures are really, really clear on many things, on so many things that we would like to think they're not as clear on. And this is one of the doctrines, just like all the ones we've been talking about the last three weeks, last four weeks now, these are clear. These are just absolutely clear. And so I really want to challenge you with that. Don't have a perspective on the doctrine of soteriology. Have the biblical perspective on soteriology, which means you're going to embrace the doctrines of grace, not because you're having this theological system you're imposing on the text, but because that's what the texts, that's what the Bible teaches. Guys, hope you have a great week. Remember, leave a rating and review, and I guess I'll talk to you again this Thursday. We've got an interview coming out. Hope to have you back this Thursday.